Welcome to Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby, Tennessee, a podcast brought to you by the Tennessee Initiative for Perinatal Quality Care. TIPQC exists to improve health outcomes for mothers and infants in Tennessee through our quality collaborative that will identify opportunities to optimize maternal and infant outcomes across our state and is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. The Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee podcast is designed for medical professionals and for patients and families across the state. We will focus on all aspects of the perinatal period with special attention to reducing our maternal mortality rate. This podcast is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Welcome to Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee podcast, brought to you by the Tennessee Initiative of Perinatal Quality Care. I'm Scott Guthrie, a neonatologist and the infant medical director of TIPQC. One of the great things I like about these podcasts is our ability to make you aware of all the various things we're doing in Tennessee as a perinatal Quality Care Collaborative, or PQC. We have a lot of things going on, and we've used our time in the past to discuss in detail some of the projects we're using to help improve the care for moms and babies in Tennessee. We've also had conversations with families about their experiences and introduced you to various professionals who are working to make a difference in this space. This week, I'm attending the Vermont Oxford Network's annual Quality Congress in Chicago. The Vermont Oxford Network, or VON, is a worldwide collaboration of healthcare professionals working together to change the landscape of neonatal care. This meeting is a key meeting where those involved in this work get a chance to get together to discuss how we can make healthcare for babies better and safer by sharing our ideas and work. We already have lots of ideas for the future of TIPQC. We've also had the opportunity to meet lots of interesting people, and I want to introduce you to one of those right now. Dr. Nina Menda is the medical director for the Wisconsin PQC. She's also a neonatologist and is an associate professor at the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health and is the director of quality and safety at the NICU there. I wanted us to sit down together to discuss our two states' PQC's work, what each one is doing, and figure out what we need to do since we're all working together to improve the care of moms and babies. Dr. Menda, welcome to Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here today. So I just wanted to tell you a little bit about myself to get started. I'm a neonatologist. I've been practicing for 12 years, originally from Chicago area, did my training out in D.C., and after that I worked at a level three NICU for five years, and about seven years ago came here to the University of Wisconsin, where I've had a wonderful experience just expanding my skill set and quality improvement. In terms of how I got interested in neonatology, I've always loved children, I knew that I wanted to be a pediatrician, but once I started residency, my first rotation was in the NICU and I completely fell in love. I love the relationships that I developed with my families. I love the acute on chronic care, loved being in the delivery room, and it just all clicked and fit together. Um, When I started fellowship, I had the first opportunity to really engage in a quality improvement project and the whole process of making small rapid cycles of change following that data, watching that improvement over time was just so gratifying in a way that I hadn't really experienced with benchside research. It was just a very dramatically different, impactful, in-the-moment experience that allowed me to just make a change for a patient immediately, and then a group of patients. So after fellowship, I stayed uh, in the D.C. area and had the opportunity to work on some clinical issues we had within our NICU, um, specifically looking at necrotizing enterocolitis rates 
and had the opportunity to introduce increased use of human milk within the NICU and um, really support breastfeeding in the NICU. Based on all those interventions, we dramatically dropped our, our incidence of neck. So again, very gratifying. After a few years there, I realized I wanted to have more opportunity, time to invest in quality improvement methodology, and so decided to come back to academics. And so now I've been here for seven years. I've had the opportunity to get my master's in healthcare quality, patient safety, and then also get involved with Wisconsin Perinatal Quality Collaborative, which has been just an amazing experience from start to finish. Yes, that's what I want to sit down and do today is, is how often do you get to get two infant medical directors for PQC together to talk about stuff we're interested in and, and hopefully to share that with our audience. Mm-hmm. Give us a little bit of history of Wisconsin's PQC. How long you guys been around? What have you been doing? And yeah. You notice I said you guys, right? <laughs> so actually in Wisconsin, there was a group of neonatologists several years ago that formed together and decided that they were going to work on a statewide um, level to address quality improvement initiatives. And so that was actually deemed um, WINPIC, so the Wisconsin Neonatal Quality Collaborative. And it was just basically run by these neonatologists through the state. And so they did some great work on CLABSIs and neck and human milk. And unfortunately, it didn't have um, the momentum and kind of the infrastructure. So in 2015, the Wisconsin Association for Perinatal Care which has been in um, Wisconsin for many years, works collaboratively with the Department of Health, recognized that there was a need for a little bit more infrastructure around quality initiatives, not only in the neonatal space, but also in the maternal side. And so we then decided to together develop the Wisconsin Perinatal Quality Collaborative. And we had um, a lot of engagement from neonatologists, obstetricians, and other individuals and stakeholders involved in the perinatal care spectrum. So we had the opportunity to also expand and reach out to family partners, recognizing that they were an important piece of of all of the quality work that we do. And so fortunately, the CDC also recognized the value of state quality collaboratives as evidenced by some of the more experienced, established ones like the California Perinatal Quality Collaborative in Ohio's, and decided to offer funding to state collaboratives that were just getting off and starting out. So fortunately, we were successful in acquiring some funding, which helped us get established. And, you know, it's been history from there. We've had the amazing opportunity to work with the other awardees of the grant, the initial grant cycle, in a very collaborative nature and kind of share lessons learned while we get our feet under us and and develop our own infrastructure, operating principles, how exactly we are going to be running as a a PQC. So there's been a lot of great lessons learned along the way, for sure. Yeah, that's the fun thing about quality improvement. It's, (laughs) It's lessons learned when you're doing the work and getting together with other groups of people who, who share like-minded interests, things like we're doing right now at the Vermont mm-hmm. Oxford Conference, me and you sitting down and having this discussion because we can learn, I think, a lot from each other. And hopefully anybody listening to this discussion, too, may come up with some good ideas. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I wanted to do is talk about our states mm-hmm. and sort of the regional differences. I'm in the southeast, you're up in the Midwest. Yep. There's differences between our states, between what we can do and how we can function and stuff like that. When I was looking at Wisconsin, there are some similarities, actually, between Tennessee and Wisconsin. Tennessee, 
for those of you who, who may be listening, it's a big, long state. It's not very wide, but it's really, really long. In fact, it's like closer from the eastern portion of the state to drive to Canada than it is to drive from the eastern to the western portion of the state. Pretty fascinating. Uh, we've got 6.8 million people. Now, 73% of those are white. 17% of those are non-Hispanic blacks. 6% are Hispanic. 2% Asian. Uh, one of the things that we're doing with PC is looking at the difference between urban and rural populations. Uh, now, urban areas are about 70% of our population. Overall, we've got like 11% preterm birth rate. So pretty significant compared to everybody else in the United States. And of course, there's a difference between our non-Hispanic black population, which is about 50% higher than our uh, white population. And there's a difference between our infant mortality rate, too, with the, the black infant mortality rate slightly less than uh, two times more than the white infant mortality rate. What about Wisconsin? What are you, what are you dealing with? Yeah, as you mentioned, we're um, pretty similar. We've got about 5.8 million residents. So um, as Scott said, we are in the Midwest and close to Canada as well. <laughs> we also similarly have a pretty homogenous population when you look at it. Uh, we're about 61% white, 12% black, 18% Hispanic, and Asian um, is about 6%. We do also have about a 1% Native American population. In terms of urban versus rural, about 70% of our residents do live in urban uh, locations. And in terms of perinatal disparities, uh, we know that black mothers are two to three times more likely to deliver babies with low birth weights. And we also, unfortunately, have really horrible disparities in terms of infant mortality rates, with black infants being three times more likely to die than white infants, uh, which is really startling and, and has been a very large call to action in terms of recognition and kind of the, the importance of what we need to do as a state, as an institution, as even in personal one-on-one -on -one relationships with our patients, how do we continue to move the bar and improve this? Because it's just not acceptable. Yeah. So what do you think are some of the things that we can do to begin to move that bar as, as PQC is working with physicians and medical community, the nurse practitioners, working with the families, working with the governments in our states? What can we do to make a difference? So I think one of the, the great things that Wisconsin has done is we've really partnered with both of our maternal mortality review team and the fetal infant mortality review team. So both of those teams have been in existence for quite some time under the Department of Health. Again, with the, the emphasis and the focus that the CDC has placed on these review teams, they have become much more robust in the last few years. So with that, has uh, created and solidified the partnership between our perinatal quality collaborative and these review teams in order to help identify statewide trends, issues, concerns, in order to address some of these disparities. And so one of the findings really was surrounding maternal mor morbidities, which really included maternal hypertension and recognizing that there were significant disparities in that space. And so that was actually one of the first collaboratives we did when we launched as a, a perinatal quality collaborative. And at that time, we only had about 10 to 12 um, sites that participated. Now, with the revamping of our entire um, PQC, it, it, we have just relaunched the maternal hypertension cohort two, if you will, in quality collaborative. And we've had much more robust participation and a lot more engagement on this topic, just with recognition of how much maternal morbidities can contribute to infant mortality rates. So 
Yeah, so let's talk about how you're, you're set up a little bit, too. So mm-hmm. in Tennessee, we've got about 58 birthing centers. Yep. And it's been a challenge trying to draw everybody in to participate in things. How, how about Wisconsin? How, yeah, you know, situation like? when we first started, we only had about 30 uh, members mm-hmm. back in 2015. And with a lot of hard work reaching out to our partners throughout the state, in 2022, we now have 80 members that are engaged in the work that WISPIC is doing. And, you know, that's really a credit to the organization. Again, some of the support that we got from the NNPQC in terms of strategies and ideas of how to improve engagement and get folks on board, because there are a lot of competing priorities when it comes to healthcare. And so we've been um, really successful with that. And I think, you know, the with CMS's recent statement mm-hmm. that birthing centers do need to be, you know, <laughs> involved, involved quality in improvement. quality improvement, <laughs> ideally through either national or statewide yep. collaboratives, that's also really motivated birthing centers to, to participate, which is great because that is how we are going to move the bar. Yeah. And that's where personally I, I like the aspect of implementation science and mm-hmm. how that can work with quality improvement and reaching out to people and encouraging them and getting them on board using the psychology involved with implementation, I think is a lot of, of fun. Have you found that to be true as you're trying to, to, to grow uh, Wisconsin PQC? Oh, absolutely. And <laughs> I agree. I think it's the most fun, the most challenging, because it comes down to human psychology, does, as you mentioned, really and what does. motivates people. And that's not always the same thing for everybody. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when you have, you know, when you have, when you're working across a state where resources are varied, when you have a large academic center with a ton of resources versus a rural hospital where you have one person maybe who's able to participate in the quality collaborative and lead it, there are definitely disparities. And so how do you figure out a way to make both sites equally successful? How do you leverage that success and the resources from one organization to another? to support that dissemination of best practices. So have y'all done that? Because <laughs> in Tennessee, that's been a challenge too. And we've tried to share resources. We've used the Tennessee Department of Health mm-hmm. uh, to help us with some of these things. We're, we're stretched very thin at a PQC level with manpower and how we're doing mm-hmm. things. But it's, it's, it's always a challenge. Always. So in the olden days, before COVID, we used to have regional um, forums. And so we would get a standardized speaker, group of speakers that would go out to the different regions within the state in order to engage the providers, the frontline clinicians, and whatever topic we were focused on. So for the neonatal, our first initiative was focused on neonatal abstinence syndrome. And so really going out into the communities and engaging those providers, sharing the guidelines that we had developed at our organizations, we had, were very successful with you know, decreasing length of stay and, and developing a large network to support these families and infants through prenatally all the way through discharge and sharing the tools that we developed openly and providing that support when it came to implementation. So when the questions came up at the rural hospitals of how do you do this, you know, being a voice through a sounding board, which other places could reach out to in order to to share that best practice. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I've, I've found on this journey is is these smaller hospitals, they want the help. 
I mean, they're, they're hungry do. for the education. Absolutely. They're hungry for the knowledge. They want people to, to work with them and help them improve the care for the population that they serve. Mm-hmm. It's just sometimes the manpower that, yeah. that prevents that from happening. And that's where I think PQCs can really mm-hmm. sort of fill in that gap. If we can come up with guidelines, if we can come up with policies, if we can come up with dissemination of information and how to educate people, people desire that, people want that. Yeah, and in terms of dissemination, I think one of, many people have mentioned this, but one of the silver linings of COVID was the fact that now we are so much more effective (laughs) at (laughs) communicating in a virtual (laughs) space and disseminating that information and reaching each other even though we may physically not be close to each other, we can still connect in a, in a virtual room. And I think that that has brought a lot of power with it. And certainly is something that WISPIC has worked very hard at developing that reach. One of the, I was really impressed when the pandemic hit, there were a lot of questions. What do we do with mothers and babies? What if the mother's positive? Do we separate? Do we not? There's guidance coming from the CDC. But how do you disseminate that quickly throughout the state? And so WISPIC was just fantastic at adapting this new new technology with Zoom and you know, all the other virtual platforms and using them to best disseminate practice. We had the best attendance, some of our webinars we've ever had after the pandemic, because the topics were timely and relevant to the sites. And not only were participants from Wisconsin, they were all across the country and even across the world. So our reach just got so much bigger in terms of the impact that we could have with dissemination. So I think leveraging the tools that we have in a new way, I mean, which is what the pandemic has taught us, I think the ability to pivot and mm-hmm. be really nimble and figure out what's working, what's not. I think engagement you know, it's very challenging sometimes, especially now with all those Zoom meetings to sit there very quietly and just hear information, but making it more interactive, more engaging so that the participants are really getting a meaningful experience from start to finish. And WISPIC and, you know, the the staff that we have has worked diligently to be on the front lines of engaging folks in a virtual space to really make that experience meaningful. Yeah, so since we brought up the C word, the COVID word, <laughs> let's talk about that just for a second. Because I, I think that was a huge opportunity for PQCs to learn a whole new skill set. Mm-hmm. And like you said, pivot and pivot nimbly because that's what PQCs have to do a lot. <laughs> With the data that we get is, is pivot nimbly and figure out what to do next and how we're going to attack this problem. As we're hopefully coming out of COVID, what has been some of the lessons learned and difficulties, challenges that, that your PQC has faced? Because in Tennessee, it's, it has very much been a manpower issue. Mm-hmm. And, and people who are on the front lines entering in the data and helping run some of these projects are now back in the front lines <laughs> front lines of nursing, though, and not, 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 the, not the quality improvement work. Have you seen the same thing where you've been? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it comes down to human resources. It comes down to also that turnover. We've had a lot of turnover. You know, folks are, are because they're either forced to or just have a new perspective that there's been a lot of staff turnover. And so in terms of engaging with the collaboratives, you know, there was certainly a time when COVID first hit that everything stopped in terms of the work that we were doing. And as I mentioned, we pivoted to providing education about best COVID practices in the perinatal spectrum. And then, you know, it was re-engaging and, and 
once the evidence started coming out about the disparities with COVID, well, then that, you know, really highlighted, brought to light the need to reemphasize it's not just within COVID space, but also, again, within our world, within the perinatal space, that these disparities exist and how do we address that? And then shifting now to reengaging with the quality improvement work, finding that a lot of the folks that were our partners in this are, are no longer at their organizations or they've switched roles. And so I think some of that challenge is now figuring out who are the right people we need to reconnect with, because you may not know that. They may not know that their organization is part of our PQC. And so I think that's been a little bit of a challenge, which we're working through because fundamentally, you know, the way that we build this PQC is based off relationships. Mm-hmm. And that's with the people that are there and are invested in the work. And so figuring out who those new folks are is key because we know that everybody wants to do this work. So since you brought that up, the, the equities that came out of, of COVID, mm-hmm. this has been a big emphasis in, in healthcare and especially in quality improvement over the past couple of years is, is there are these equities in our population that I think too long we've had a blind eye to. Mm-hmm. And now, thank goodness, we're finally starting to pay attention to that and, and look at these disparities, try to figure out how are we going to fix some of these underlying problems in a, in a, in a healthcare system that, that needs a big fix. Mm-hmm. Is this something that your PQC has been doing yeah. involved in so far? Absolutely. So it's definitely an area that we have discussed <laughs> on many, many levels. Of course, with the Department of Health, being actively involved in this data collection and dispersion, um, recognizing the disparities in infant mortality. And so in terms of interventions and coming up with solutions, because this is multifactorial and it is systemic, it's structural. And this issue, when you're addressing biases and discrimination, racism, there's not going to be a single silver bullet. It really needs to be approached from a systemic hand. And so you know, there's a lot of, within Wisconsin, there's a lot of resources and program development to look at the root causes and, and try to get to interventions and solutions to address those, those issues. And so, you know, whether you're talking about, you know, housing insecurity or financial insecurity, transportation insecurity, how do we support families in order to ensure that we're leveling the playing field? And, recognizing not all the same solutions work for every subset of of folks. And so with the the University of Wisconsin has partnered with the Department of Health to create a life course initiative that really supports uh, black mothers and through their entire perinatal journey from start to finish and after discharge, ensuring that there is support for, again, housing security, food security, transportation security, child care needs, meeting families with the needs that they have. And in in a similar vein, um, at the University of Wisconsin in Madison, we've recently, because Dane County, which is where the University of Madison is located, actually has in the state one of the worst uh, disparities, which is really disheartening. And so we all recognize that this is a call to action and we need to, to act on it. And so Well, with the help of all the hospital centers and a commitment from the insurers, the payers, and the hospital centers and community partners engaged together to develop a program called Connect Rx, which in essence, from the moment that a woman finds out that she's pregnant, she's automatically screened for social determinants of health. And if anything does come back as a concern, then she's automatically partnered with a 
not just the community partners, but there is a coordinator to help support her through her pregnancy journey in order to ensure that her needs and her family's needs are met throughout um, the entire pregnancy and through the first year of life of her infant. And again, in attempts to decrease some of these disparities, ensuring that she and her family have the support that they need. So it's not it's not easy. It's a lot of hard work and it takes a lot of resources, but it's important. And I think that we all recognize that. So. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things we've been doing in Tennessee is, is over the past couple of years, TIPQC is a health equity officer now. Mm-hmm. So every one of our projects, bundles that's looked at, is looked at through that, 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 that racial diversity and equity lens to make sure we're pulling in the data that we need to. We've just actually started collecting the, the racial mm-hmm. data so we can see what's actually occurring at our urban hospitals, at our rural hospitals, mm-hmm. and try to put in programs to help fix the problem that might be there. And, and I got to brag on Tennessee for a little bit because we just got a big grant to actually do implicit bias training around the state that's with fantastic. healthcare professionals. So hopefully that's something that, uh, that, that we'll be able to get rolled out here over the next year and help improve uh, the way people view other people, uh, yeah. which I think plays in a lot to, to what happens sometimes, unfortunately. Absolutely. And I think in terms of implicit bias training, that's something we've done within my organization for all the frontline care providers. But how do you get that across the state? Where are the resources, the time, right? And yeah. that's where it's important, I think, with the messaging that's coming from both CDC, Vaughn, other PQCs, that this is important and it's meaningful. And we need to, to dedicate the time, the money, the resources to making a change in our system, in our structure, so that our families feel welcome and heard and a part of their child's journey. Yeah, and I think the big message here for those of you that are listening is you've got to begin measuring this information. But then I think it also starts with a personal journey and introspection and making sure you're acting in the right way and hopefully influencing the people that are in your circle and that is a state medical directors, we can influence hopefully more people to just do the right thing. So here's where we get to brag for a little bit. Let's go back and forth. Let's talk about some of the projects that we're currently mm-hmm. involved in or developing. And since you're the guest, you get to go first. What, what, what's, 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 uh, what's your PQC doing that you're like super excited about, want to share with our audience and or that you've got in development that yeah. you think is going to be super awesome? Absolutely. So we have really done a fantastic job with just developing our infrastructure on these collaboratives. And each collaborative that we do, we just grow and learn so much from. You know, way back when we did our first maternal hypertension, and, you know, as I mentioned, we only had 10 to 12 sites. And now with our second cohort, we've got 35 sites, which is really exciting to see that level of engagement. We've had the opportunity to go through IHI's Breakthrough Series training and so really have made our collaborators much more robust and develop processes to collect data and then also provide real-time feedback so our participants can see their data in real time to see if they're, they're moving the bar. So in terms of maternal hypertension, you know, when we first started, it was, you know, a few measures, a few sites, and kind of figuring out what what a collaborative looks like when you've got, you know, multiple sites from across the state participating. And now with our second rollout, it's much more structured. We've got a lot more enthusiasm. We have clear definitions of what 
um, our measures are, what exactly we're tracking, what exclusions are, so the data is that much cleaner. And then we've also added the equity lens as we've gone through our journey of, of developing as a PQC. And so looking at disparities in our measures, you know, looking at rural versus urban, and then race ethnicity data, which I think is critical for any quality initiative. And then from the neonatal side, our first collaborative really looked at human milk at discharge, recognizing that that was, you know, a joint commission reportable measure and therefore potentially has a little bit more buy-in for participating sites. And so, again, learned a lot of really great lessons. And now we are, our second initiative is really the, the NAS NOWS initiative, looking at neonatal abstinence throughout the state. And that was the first initiative where we had some crossover because some of our interventions started with on the maternal side as soon as she was identified. What does screening look like? What does what are the next steps in terms of support for that mother, even before delivery? And then again, once the baby is born, what does screening, treatment, and discharge look like? And so with that collaborative, we were able to have um, again much more robust conversation, development of those measures. And again, move the bar in terms of length of stay and then implementation of a standardized algorithm for identifying and treating uh, neonates with opioid exposure in utero. So it was really gratifying to see that level of engagement and everybody participating, freely sharing their information in terms of tools and resources that they've developed and having a large network of content experts to draw from and including some of the implicit bias training as well, because I think that's really important for that population. And now our newest initiative is focused on human milk feeding. We are, again, because we're revamping and looking at it from the newborn perspective, but also the NICU perspective. And so not just human milk at discharge, because generally at our NICUs, we're pretty good at that, but also looking at breastfeeding, which sometimes in NICUs, we're not, not, as, good. not as good at that, right? So, that could be improved uh, upon. <laughs> exactly. Um, and supporting that, especially looking at some of our local site data, you know, we've certainly seen disparities in this area too, which again, I think relates to a lot of socioeconomic and racial biases and, and much bigger structural issues that we need to address in terms of why those disparities exist and how do we support Black and Hispanic mothers in their breastfeeding and breast milk production journeys. So I think that there's a lot of excitement. We haven't actually rolled those two initiatives out yet. We're going to be um, starting uh, late fall with the newborn team, uh, the, the newborn group, and then NICU towards winter. So uh, I'm really excited. Yeah. Sounds like y'all got a full plate going on. <laughs> That's what's fun about this work, too, is when you have built something mm-hmm. and then you begin to disseminate it and you see the enthusiasm from the community, yep. from the people that you're working with. And then sometimes some of the best ideas, as far as implementation goes, can come from those community hospitals that you're working with and being to share that knowledge and, and the joy that they have in seeing the improvement happen in their own community is, mm-hmm. is awesome. Well, from Tennessee's standpoint, so we have an infant side and a maternal side. And so we will have maternal projects and some of the maternal projects that have been done recently. It also involves a maternal hypertension project. Mm-hmm. A uh, safe promotion of vaginal delivery project is being developed right now as we speak, I'm sure, and it'll hopefully be launched after the first of the year. Uh, one of the joint projects that we just launched a few months ago is an optimal cord clamping or delayed cord clamping project. And that's been uh, really one of the most popular voluntary projects in TIPQC's history. 
My understanding is it's also the first project that a PQC has done this on a state level uh, to, to emphasize the importance of uh, delayed cord clamping. So that'll be pretty interesting once we uh, get that project complete and see all the data. And so the enthusiasm from, from the state has been pretty, uh, pretty remarkable, I think. Last I heard, we had 32 of our 58 birthing hospitals participating in this. So it's pretty exciting. And then right now we are developing a project that we're calling the Tennessee's Tiniest Babies Project. So in Tennessee, roughly 25% of our infant mortality rate is made up of the Elgan population. And uh, there's 13 level three and four NICUs around the state. And we're all coming together, working on development of some bundles to address things like severe interventricular hemorrhage, bronchopulmonary dysplasia, those things that can cause high mortality and morbidity rates in this population. And hopefully in addressing the infant mortality rate in this way, Tennessee will become average <laughs> and we'll have an, uh, the national average infant mortality rate. So we'll see if this works, but that's going to be a long, long-term long project. And it's one I'm pretty excited about actually. Yeah, that sounds really exciting. Yeah, and we'll so see. I'm gonna have to may have to steal some of that. Well, and this is great. That's why I want to do this podcast because right. that's the great thing about quality improvement mm-hmm. is is you steal other people's ideas and you make them better. And that that I think if if we can all get together and have these discussions and share what is working and and you take what we've done and you make it better in Wisconsin and I'll take something you did in Wisconsin and try to make it better in Tennessee and then maybe California can learn from us when when we get done with this. Who knows? So, you know, as we wrap up, I've got one question that I always like to either end with or lead with, and it just so happens we're ending with this today. But I want you to imagine that you've been given the power and authority to, to put a message on a billboard somewhere and uh, it's going into, I don't know, Milwaukee, Madison. Maybe they give you two billboards. And uh, you can uh, can put this up, and hundreds of thousands of people every week are going to drive past this and, and see this message that you you want people to to know. And it can be anything. What would what would you say? What would you share? This is a great question, and I had to think about it for a while. (laughs) But in my mind, and I feel like this is really pertinent, especially the last few years, but indifference is more dangerous than anger and hatred. And it was first said by Eli Wiesel, who was a survivor, survivor of the Holocaust. And it really resonated with me when I read it. And I, I think when you consider indifference, whether it's in regards to voting, or climate change, or infant mortality rates, or any of the injustices that we see on a daily basis, you know, when potentially there's even an interaction that just feels off and we don't call it out in the moment, that is is dangerous, and we need to act on that. So in my mind, really, it, it just reminds me that we all have a responsibility to each other and to, in order to make this world a better place. So... Yeah, and everybody that's listening, you've got spheres of influence that, that you're a part of, and you may encounter sometimes mm-hmm. a feeling yourself of indifference or other people that you work with having an indifference, and that's that that, that that's not something that that uh, <laughs> we need to allow to happen. That's where I, I hope that you you think about the quote that she shared and, and it encourages you to do something uh, to actually make a difference in, in your community and in your sphere of influence. Absolutely. We all have a voice and we all need to use it. Yep. 
Nina, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Uh, this has been another episode of uh, Tennessee's Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby podcast brought to you by TipQC. Thank you and have a good day. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee presented by TipQC. TipQC is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Do you have ideas for a future guest or topic or even have a question you would like answered on upcoming episodes? Visit www.tipqc.org, that's T-I-P-Q-C.org, and click on podcast to submit suggestions and questions to our podcast team. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast to be the first to know when new episodes are available and find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube to stay in the loop with our active projects and other relevant news relating to perinatal health in Tennessee.